Hi, everybody, and welcome to part seven of the Metric Minute brought to you by Vault Performance. I'm Kareem Durkawi, and today we will jump over the flight phase, no pun intended, on our way to examining peak landing force. Now, this metric is exactly what the name describes. It's the highest force value produced when landing after a jump. A safe, typical landing technique begins with initial toe or forefoot contact, then progresses towards heel contact. This requires rapid eccentric loading of the Achilles calf complex and enables afferent reflex mechanisms to begin a coordinated response. The knees and hips then experience strong torques to decelerate body mass moving at speed. Afterwards, the force trace returns back to body weight levels. Now, here are two examples of different landing strategies. The first is an athlete with certain attributes. Notice the weight and vertical jump height. You see that he lands with almost nine times body weight. A quick examination of the eccentric phase shows weak loading ability. Combining weak eccentric performance with a huge peak landing force like this one suggests this athlete may not be able to decelerate hard and fast. Rather, he prepares slowly for the jump and lands very stiffly. However, this athlete is taller and heavier with nearly the same vertical jump height. Notice how his eccentric phase is exceptionally potent, plus his peak landing force is only about three times body weight. This suggests he can load effectively and land softly with control, thus reducing injury risk. The take-home message is that landing forces rely greatly on loading ability. Comparing results with eccentric phase performance might reveal patterns that can be improved. Now, next time, we will zoom out and examine how everything starts to come together. Until then, please feel free to touch base with me or any of us at Vault Performance. Thank you. The world of strength and conditioning is filled with some awesome practitioners who are always trying to evolve and continue to grow professionally throughout their career. The problem with many of us, though, is finding a new outlet, a new way and a new perspective on the questions that we may have whether it be programming, whether it be situational with dealing with coaches, or whether it be career advice. Because all too often what happens is we get stuck in with the same group of friends and the same group of colleagues that we reach out to for advice repeatedly over and over again. But what we should really be looking for is different perspectives, different people who have been through different situations who can help us make better decisions both for ourselves and our athletes. And one awesome place to start with that is the forums in the Strength Coach Network. In the forums in the Strength Coach Network, you'll be able to reach out and get feedback, input, and advice from coaches from all over the world, from everything from career advice to training modalities to programming. There's people there just for the same reason as you are, to try to get better, to learn, to share information, and to grow the field of strength and conditioning. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash cvasps. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash cvasps to dive into all that great content today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Jay DeMeo coming at you with this week's edition of My Thoughts Monday. And there's been a, a little bit of a discussion of late on the amazingly lovely world of Strength Coach Twitter about the role of the mentor when it comes to helping the mentee find their next position. And while I feel that that is important, and I feel that that can be helpful, I also can say with zero uncertainty that I don't think we've ever hired someone from one of our you know, entry positions because someone randomly called us and said, this person would be great. Now, 
I'm a unique person. Like I look at things a little different. And I think that a lot of people would agree with that. That, you know, Greybeard is kind of a grumpy old curmudgeon who's been through a little bit, but has been at the same place for a long time. And yeah, I got the job here because someone called me because they had a connection to the university. But as powerful as the phrase and as real as the phrase is, your net work is your net worth. What you provide is even more important. And the person that needs to provide what is important is the mentee and the mentor. And I want to talk about what I think is the most important part of that relationship today. And my thought process in this has changed quite a bit. And this is one of the things, and in, in full disclosure, this could change you know, tomorrow, right? Like Tuesday, This I could listen to this and be like, dude, I'm off like Samsonite. But right now, this is where my thought process is with this and where I feel this is what I think that a lot of us are missing the boat on and overlooking and where we can be better for the people that we mentor and the coaches that are underneath us that we're trying to help develop. And people want to talk about the next job, the next job, the next job, the next job. And, you know, there's the two cliche statements, right? There's like make it big time where you're at and like dress like it's the next job, right? And, and all of that is just basically saying like, stick it out as long as you have to and then go with it a big time where really I think that that's really jumping the shark when it comes to this situation. The most important aspect to me when it comes to the mentor-mentee relationship or the supervisor-employee relationship is identifying the right person to hire in the first place. Because we sit here, right, and we look at these things and we have these questions, these comments, these concerns about what we should be doing to help them with the next job. When in reality, the most important aspect to it is hiring the right person. Bringing in the right person to begin with that is going to do a few things. And this is where I think a lot of us get in trouble. I think a lot of us get nervous. And I think a lot of us really are stuck in this older school rut. And it's the older school dude talking here. This older school rut of trying to quote unquote keep it in the family, right? Or keep it in your tree or only hire specific things. What I think we've done really well and has really helped our success and has helped us grow and has helped us become better coaches as an entire department and has helped our entire performance team become better has been reaching out and finding coaches who have completely different backgrounds and bringing them in, learning from them, helping them grow and understand what we're trying to do allowing them to become comfortable, and then having them impact our decision process, our thought process, and our just overall structure to a greater level. Now, what I'm not saying is someone's going to come in day one and I'm going to throw everything up on the whiteboard and say, hey, rip it apart. That would be prudent, right? That would just be crazy. Like, no one's going to do that. Like, why, why would we think that that's how anything should be structured? But what we can do is we can go and we can bring in people from a different background. 
and we can identify them by talking to their references and understanding what their references and the people above them, A, think of them professionally, and B, personally do. How do you coach? How do the people that are impacting this person that we're looking to hire, how do they program? What is their philosophy? What are they teaching? Because we need to bring in someone that's going to provide us a unique perspective. This unique perspective, though, has to fit in with the sport coaches that they're going to work with. So there, there is a little hamstringing there with what we're able to do, right? We need to make sure that this isn't such a huge 180 that all of a sudden they come in and the sport coaches are like, uh, we're literally doing hit training when we were only doing Olympic weightlifting or we were just doing Poliquin bodybuilding stuff and now all we're doing is Westside. You know, like things like that. Like obviously there's limitations to what you can do. Comma. The bigger that change and that bigger that different lens is to the past lens, the more it's going to allow you to reevaluate, self-assess, and grow what you're doing. And as you start to understand what they do, you now can start to pry in and ask questions. What's their opinion of X, Y, and Z? But what needs to now start to build is a comfort level because what's really easy is for someone to just regurgitate a book, regurgitate a lecture, regurgitate what has been said to them. But as Joe Ken once said in reference to one of his assistants, if I wanted you to tell me what Louis Simmons was going to say, I'd call Louis Simmons. We don't need to know what the experts say or the gurus say. We need to know how you interpret it, modify it maybe, implement it, and see it work. We need to know those things. We need to know, you know, what your little twist on it is. We need to know how you have made it yours and have allowed it to fit into what you do. Now, I can hear you saying this right now, but Jay, you're the one that says we should probably just listen to what the experts have said and do it that way. Well, right, of course, but what if you don't have the equipment necessary? How have you done it differently? What if you don't have the, the means to do it specifically the way that it was asked? Were there some things that you took, pros and cons, that actually did work for you? Why do you think it worked? Was it simply just because it was a novel stimulus? Or is it because it actually helped a more well-developed athlete? Things of that nature. These are the things that allow us to grow. And the more this comfort level grows, and the more their openness to expand and share grows the more you can now involve them in situations like what we have right now, which is a massive whiteboard in my new office. And the first thing on it is we're going to define terms. We're going to sit down and define four specific terms that cross between strength and conditioning and sports medicine. What do they mean? One, what do they mean? How do we define it? Two, what are they? What are we going to do for these? If it's an assessment, what is it, for example? And what assessments are we going to do? What assessments are specific to health and wellness, to general physical preparation, to performance? And how are those going to impact what we do, both rehab, prehab, and physical preparation? That's not that daunting of a task, but it's something that I don't think any of us really do. But in order to do this, you need to bring in different people. You need to bring in people with different mindsets. 
There's four of us. There's going to be a fifth, possibly a sixth in these meetings. And at least one, if not two or three people in those meetings are going to have zero skin in the game. They're going to have zero impact on what the training program does. Why? Because chances are those people are going to give you the most honest input. They got nothing to lose. What do they care? If they think that you're an idiot for what you're trying to say, hopefully at this point you've mentored these people enough and opened the line of communication enough and brought about enough of a safe environment that they're willing to tell you, yo, Greybeard, you're off your rocker. This ain't going to work. Or that's not what that means. It means this. And then you have to be well enough to be able to sit there and listen, take it in, and say, you're right, hmm, you're only right here, or maybe that doesn't fit here. But that needs to be done with all of you, and it needs to be done with the whole group. So the moral of this story is simply this. There's way more to this relationship than just sitting here and coming in and working a little bit and stealing ideas and then jumping to the next job. These mentorships and these relationships last forever. And don't kid yourself if there, if you don't think that as soon as we get these things done, that there's not going to be a picture taken and it's sent to four past assistants so I can hear them say, hey, Jay, you're a schmuck. You're doing this wrong, that wrong, or the other thing wrong. Because at the end of the day, you keep growing from your mentors and you keep growing from your mentees because they're the most important person to your career development. And they're the most impactful person to how you can diversify your education. So how are you diversifying your education? How are you learning from other people? How are you identifying who you need to bring in so that you can be better, so that you can continue to grow, to not just be better for the student athletes or the kids that you get to coach and the sports medicine practitioners you work with and the coaches you're trying to help, but for the future people that you're going to mentor and you're going to get the opportunity to develop as a coach. Because if you're unwilling to listen to them, why in the world should they listen to you? As always, truly appreciate everything y'all do for us here in Central Virginia Sport Performance. We'll be back next week with another My Thoughts Monday. I will see you then.